0: I like how right out of the gate, you sort of address in your introduction, the worries that every teacher faces as they shift from being in school, learning the pedagogy to then, okay, now it's real. I'm in front of students regularly, and I'm now officially teaching. From your experience and your perspective, what is that recipe for finding the joy and feeling, I've got this?
1: I think it's elusive for teachers, whether they're brand new to the profession or they're veterans it can feel like that sense of, yeah, I really, I really hit it out of the park today is, is so rare. And I find even in our best of circumstances in a normal school day, I know very few teachers who drive home at the end of the day and they sort of pat themselves on the back and say, yeah, job well done. No, they catalog all the things that they didn't get to. And now in this time of COVID and online instruction, it's even more profound, this this sort of hair shirt that so many of us wear as educators, that we are really skilled at thinking about all the things we're not yet doing well. And right now, especially, we could be thinking about that kid on the Zoom meeting who wasn't talking or that kid who didn't show up at all. And then we're also trying to find toilet paper and we're trying to figure out breakout rooms. And we're often feeling like we're not measuring up. And it's sad to me as a teacher and as a teacher of teachers, because we would never do this to our students. We would never be so so tough on them and sort of look at all the deficits and all the gaps. But we tend to do that as teachers. And I wanted to give teachers a way to, uh, you know, not just a, not just a fluffy feel good, but to a genuine way to, to mark progress toward becoming an expert teacher wherever they're at in terms of their own professional journey. And so I wanted to take the guesswork out of what it means to be an expert teacher. And so joy, of course, is part of it. We we need joy now more than ever. But also, apart from joy, a sense of competence, a sense of confidence, like I, I am seeing progress. It's not a a guess of whether or not I'm doing a good job. And that's why I wanted to give very concrete strategies and indicators. So that if you try something and you have a teaching goal, you know exactly what tried and true methods will help you get there. And then you have very clear indicators of whether or not that worked and if you need to go back and tweak it instead of sort of hoping you're doing well or waiting for that letter 20 years from now from a student who says, you made a profound impact in my life. Uh, Instead, we could know right away. Yes, what I'm trying is working.
0: You sort of alluded to this, but the, the book itself is such a tremendous wealth of knowledge and resources. What, what was your goal for teachers in writing this book? And who is this book for?
1: My goal was to help keep teachers in teaching, first and foremost. Over 40% of teachers leave the profession in the first five years. And everyone goes into it with the most noble intentions to, because they care about students. And yet, they get in there and they find it so tremendously challenging that they leave and go into a different profession. So, my goal and my audience was for teachers to be able to stay in teaching and to find ways to feel successful at it. So, that applies, especially, of course, to new teachers, but to any teacher who feels overwhelmed or unsure or maybe they're not getting all the professional support they need. I know teachers who are on Pinterest and teachers pay teachers and they're just searching and they're they're getting professional books and they're going to their own professional development and they have mentors and still they're desperate for the answer. And I wanted to give them very very practical concrete steps to work toward their own their own professional learning.
0: I want to ask you about the structure, which I am in love with in just a second, but I also want to just sort of lean into what you just said there for a second about there's so many people that can access this book. What you've done, you've you've broken it down for new teachers, experienced teachers, and then any other ways to access this. Can you talk a little bit about why that was so important to sort of have so many entry points for educators into this and and into the resources you're presenting?
1: I think a lot about what we know works for students. So we know when we're working with a group of students that there's not one path for them to all learn and to grow, that we know we need to differentiate for them. We know we need to help them set goals and that they have a voice in choosing goals and that they have ways to track their own growth as students and similarly there's no one right path for teachers the expert is in them and they need to have some voice and choice and figuring out how to how to grow and so i wanted them to have a lot of um a lot of autonomy and ways to differentiate for themselves because there isn't just, there, there's never going to be, and, and this book isn't either, there's never going to be one certain way to uh, feel better at teaching. So there are lots of ways for teachers to come in and out of the book as they choose. They don't need to read it uh, front to back, they can dip in and out as they want. And then there are lots of ways for them to see well, this one speak. this strategy speaks to me, or this one not so much. There's a lot of choice.
0: You note in the introduction to the book that the uh, structure sort of borrows from Jen Saravalo's Reading and Writing Strategies book. Jen even writes the foreword to your book, which is incredible. Talk a little bit more about, you know, how the book is organized. You've, you've got, you know, a lot of great breakdowns in the different chapters. Is, is it really sort of a jump in anywhere that you find the right spot or do you advise people to sort of start in one place and move towards another?
1: I think the reason Jennifer Saravala's Reading and Writing Strategies book spoke to so many of us is because of the way she structured the books into a progression of goals for readers and for writers. So that, for instance, engagement is the first goal, because if a reader isn't actually engaged with sitting down and reading a book, it's going to be incredibly hard to feel success at a a goal further along the hierarchy, such as analyzing theme. And I thought of that in my work with teachers that, for instance, it's very difficult to see success when we're trying to get students to work together collaboratively if we haven't first developed a strong classroom community and relationships with students and among students. So I designed the book with a, similar to the reading and writing strategies books, a progression of goals that teachers can look at. And they can think, if I'm experiencing success with a goal that's earlier on in the hierarchy, I'm setting myself up for success with a goal later on. And one of the earlier goals is, for instance, relationship building with students, because without that, it's so hard to feel success with other focus areas. And of course, the very first goal, which is so relevant to us right now, is how to stay happy and healthy in a demanding job because if we are experiencing burnout or we just are seeing all of our gaps or we're feeling really overwhelmed, uh, we are likely to risk burnout. And then it's tremendously hard to do what we need to do for students. And so I think that is as relevant as ever is how do we, even if not staying happy, at least staying at a point where we're taking care of ourselves and can offer the support to students that they need.
0: Well, I encourage people to check out the sample chapter on Heinemann.com because it bursts with color, lots of brilliant organization and structure. I just I commend you on just how accessible this book is and all, all of the resources within it. As we record this conversation now, we're finishing week 11 of remote learning, remote teaching uh, for most schools across the United States. Uh, for some schools, they're starting to wrap up now and they're starting to think about the fall. We know the fall will look pretty different, uh, you know, but through that lens, I was particularly drawn to chapter one, uh, your section on staying happy and healthy in a demanding job. How do you think teachers can best address both their students' needs and their own needs uh, through this remote learning situation?
1: I think the teachers I've been working with are letting me know loud and clear that they are stressed. They are many on the brink of burnout. There used to be a delineation of at least getting in your car and driving home and being out of the classroom. And now the classroom is our kitchen table. And teachers are doing Zoom sessions and office hours and planning and feedback until the wee hours of the night, or they're getting up so early before they're homeschooling their own children. And so this seems highly relevant now that we're thinking about how to protect ourselves or make sure that we are coming to our teaching life with enough stamina and good spirits that we can reach our kids. So the strategies in that chapter, in that very first chapter, are very concrete ways that might feel like common sense, but are actually teachers are letting me know that they're very helpful reminders to them to do things like think about what you're core values are and what you care about most, and make sure that you're prioritizing those and the decisions you make so that you're not just doing endless lessons or hours in planning, but you're thinking about, if my core value is that I care about students, am I making sure that my actions back that up? So reminders and ways to uh, feel success at feeling healthy right now so that we can then do things like design engaging and motivating lessons, and we can give meaningful feedback.
0: And sort of sticking with that perspective, classroom environment, you have a whole chapter on classroom environment. You know, it's going to, again, look so much different in the fall. In some cases, it might be blended. In some cases, it might be sort of different from where kids left school, whatever week or month it was in this school year. How can we best think about our classroom environments as we start to prepare for the fall?
1: Classroom environment, when we think about the traditional classroom, means that students can come in and feel safe and feel like they're in a place that is organized and makes sense and allows them to thrive. So even if we're not in a traditional brick and mortar school in the fall or we're in and out of those environments, creating that safe, nurturing space where students feel like they can thrive is going to be just as fundamental a goal uh, before we can do things like get to that content learning. And there are many ways that teachers can still think about prioritizing that environment, whether we're making sure that our modules are well organized and that students know where to go and that there are predictable places and spaces for them to interact. And whether it's making sure that Flipgrid is up and going and everyone knows how to mute their microphone. Those are all going to be simple moves that we can make so that students do feel like this is a place where I belong. And now more than ever, we have to think about making sure that we're creating environments where students feel like this is a home for me. This is a place where I want to show up every day.
0: You also have a section about classroom norms over classroom rules how should we be thinking about classroom norms instead of, or over classroom rules
1: so the way i organized the chapters was that instead of thinking about management in a traditional way i first looked at how we can establish routines and rituals because without those again we don't have that foundation on which everything else rests and then i also looked at relationship building And in there, you're referring to one of the strategies that we can create norms instead of rules. And this is a wonderful thing that I've been researching and I'm so thrilled to see. And again, that will be a great strategy for teachers to check out, to think about how are we going to co-create norms together with our students in the fall? instead of teachers top-down presenting the rules of the road. And it is a whole way to look at, instead of compliance, really thinking about how we can together grow, again, that safe space where students feel like they belong and they feel like they have a voice and they're invested in making it a community where everyone wants to and, and can learn. I feel so much affection for teachers right now and especially now when i think these inequities are being further exposed in our world of education when we see black and brown communities further suffering because of covid and i know teachers are always aware of this and feeling like there's so much we need to do. And we do. It's a call to action. And what I want teachers to feel is that there is a way to, to do this. It's manageable, but we have to work at it incrementally. And that if we try to do everything and try to keep this learning curve of, for instance, learning how to do digital instruction all at once, we are setting ourselves up for a lot of frustration and feeling of failure. And so what I really want teachers to do is to be able to think, what's what's my goal and how can I work toward that step by step? And how can I also celebrate every bit of accomplishment along the way? Because our students are going to feed on that and they need they need us to be there and to be feeling positive and competent so that they also can take part
0: The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. It is produced and edited by Steph George. Sound mixing by Steph George. Our creative producer is Lauren Audette. And our executive producer is me, Brett Whitmarsh. To learn more about the Heinemann Podcast, visit blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.